Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Wow, when those kids are leaving, I just love it. We had one little girl first time tonight, so yay. We're glad to see her coming over to to the kinder first class over there. You know, with them leaving, I just want us to declare that one more time. I want you to say with me, you'll always be more than enough for me. Can you say that? You'll always be more than enough for me. And that's so true, and I am really so thankful for that. I'm also thankful tonight. I just want to speak to the parents just really quick. Um, you know, every week they go home with homework, and I just want to thank, so, thank you so much to the parents because not only do you bring them to church and you make sure they're here, but you do their homework with them. You make sure they're doing it. You're learning those memory verses and making sure that they're memorizing that. And we just love partnering with you to connect your kids to Christ. I just really want to say thank you. Well, I am excited to be here tonight to share with you what I feel like like God gave me to preach on. But if you'd asked me yesterday, I would have probably said not so much. I was a little nervous. Um, Let me give you a little bit of background on how this sermon kind of evolved this time. The last time I preached, God gave me the whole sermon like two weeks early, and that was awesome. And I could practice it and prepare it and be ready to go. And so this time I knew it was coming up, and I was just like, okay, God, what do you want me to talk about? And he was silent, just silent. And Thursday, I mean, I was praying, I was looking in the Word, seeing if something, you know, just pops out at you. That's kind of how you do it sometimes. You start to get a little desperate. And I was just like, God, you got to give me something. It's just in a few days. And so I'm driving to work, and all of a sudden I just said, I'm done with this. I'm I'm, going to stop praying about it. I'm going to start praying for our leaders and tree kids. And immediately... God dropped this into my heart. I hadn't even started praying yet, but he told me. And this is what he said. The first thing he said was, I want you to talk about the road to Emmaus. And I want you to tell him it's not about the destination, but it's about the journey. And it's not about following, it's about me walking with you. So that's kind of a preview. Maybe you're familiar with the story of the road to Emmaus, or or maybe you haven't heard it before, but we'll get into it in just a second. But there's two disciples, and it's Easter Sunday, and they are on their way home to their home in Emmaus, and they are walking. It's seven miles. Jesus appears out of nowhere and walks with them, but they do not know it's him. Their eyes, it says, the Bible says that they were, it it was concealed to them. It was not, um, and, then, and then in the story, it gets revealed. Their eyes are open. And I also wanted to be transparent about something, just so, because we like to do that, right? That's okay, I hope. And I, it's not really about me, but it's kind of the irony of what I'm even talking about. So we have so many fantastic pastors here, and they are anointed to bring a fantastic word. I'm not always over here, but I always go back and stream it. I'm like, oh, that was so good. And I'm I'm encouraged. I take notes. Um, I don't always do the live notes, but they're good for you, I hear. I've done it a few times when I have been over here. And so this week, I was like, man, they're so good. And just a little piece of you starts to feel maybe just a little inadequate or maybe just a little insecure. You compare yourself to others. I don't, maybe you don't ever do that, but, but maybe you do. <laughs> and, 
And so I just want to be transparent. So I was doing that, and I actually texted or talked to a couple of them, and they said, you know what, Trish, just be yourself. Just be yourself. So I was like, okay, great. And I had the sermon, it was all lined out, and then this morning, I got on Facebook, and I was like, are you kidding me? I'm scrolling through, and then I don't even know who had posted it, but it said, hashtag seven mile journey, hashtag seven mile miracle. And Stephen Furtick, if you don't know who that is, he's a pastor of a mega church. They have like 25,000 people, 14 campuses. Last week, he started the same series. And I was like, well, now I don't even have to just compare myself with the pastors here. Now I'm comparing myself with Stephen Furtick. And it, I was like, are you kidding me? I said, I said um, why, why is he preaching? I said, God, how am I supposed to preach Stephen Furtick's message? And he stopped me and he said, that's not Stephen Furtick's message. That's my message. And who are you if I gave it to you and Stephen Furtick? Because I was like, they're going to think I stole that message. And I just want y'all to know I didn't. But God is able to give it to two people or more at, than, and at one time. He said, will you deliver the message that I gave you to the people that I've given it to? And so tonight, if you, if you go through times where you're insecure or you feel a little inadequate, maybe a little insignificant or unimportant, or maybe doubt God can use you, I hope you can relate to this message. So let's pray. Father, thank you that you are always more than enough for me and for us. Thank you that we don't have to compare ourselves to anyone and nothing compares to you. And Father, as we walk through this tonight, help us know that your presence is here and it's enough. In Jesus' name. So the passage we're going to look at today picks up on Easter Sunday. It's in Luke 24, and if you're in your um, live notes, we'll get to there in just a second. But in context, let me tell you that this takes place after Jesus has been crucified. He's been buried. It's been three days. Some women are going to the tomb to anoint the body with burial spices because that's their custom. That's what they did. And they're expecting to find a body. In fact, in another account in the book of Mark, it says they were worrying aloud to each other as they walked, who's going to move the stone? And it's the same in our life, right? Do you find yourself worrying about things sometime and you realize God's already taken care of it? When they get there, the stone has already been moved away. They don't see Jesus, but they do see an angel that tells them that Jesus has risen from the dead just like he said he would. They run back to the 11 disciples and they tell them, and Peter has to go look for himself. And then we pick up in, in verse 13. Now, I'm going to read it tonight, and it's in your notes this way, out of a, a translation called The Voice. And I like it because it's very conversational, and it almost sets up like a play. So it starts off in verse 13. It says, picture this. That same day, two other disciples, not of the eleven, are traveling the seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and as they walk along, they talk back and forth about all that's transpired during recent days. While they're talking and discussing and conversing, Jesus catches up to them and begins, begins walking with them. But for some reason, they don't recognize him. And the first question I have there is, why are they going home? And the second question I had was, does Jesus just kind of yell, hey guys, wait up just a second, and just catches up with them. 
And then the third question, of course, the obvious one is, why don't they recognize him? And so the first blank you have there to fill in is sometimes we need help to see Jesus. Sometimes we need help to see Jesus. I want you to think back to the first person who ever told you about Jesus. Who introduced you to Jesus? Maybe it's when you were little. Maybe it was in a Bible school. Maybe it was even in Tree Kids. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe you were going through a really hard time in your life and you knew someone that had a hope that you didn't have and they shared Jesus with you. So think back to that very first time. And in verse 17, Jesus says to them, you two seem deeply engrossed in conversation. What are you talking about as you walk along the road? They stop walking and just stand there looking sad. One of them, Cleopas is his name, speaks up. And Cleopas says, you must be the only visitor in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about what's been going on over the last few days. And Jesus responds, what are you talking about? And I love that. He invites himself into their conversation and into their lives. These two people, we don't even know the other one's name. Some people think it might have been Cleopas' wife. I don't know. They're unknown. We don't see anything else about them in the Bible. They're unknown and they're insignificant. And they're going away from Jerusalem. They're going home. Next blank on your outline, he'll walk with you even if you're going the wrong way. He's gonna walk with you even if you're headed in the wrong direction. The two disciples say, it's all about the man named Jesus of Nazareth. He was a mighty prophet who did amazing miracles and preached powerful messages in the sight of God and everyone around. Our chief priests and authorities handed him over to be executed, crucified in fact. We'd been hoping that he was the one, you know, the one who would liberate all Israel and bring God's promises. Well, anyway, on top of all that, just this morning, the third day after the execution, some women in our group really shocked us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't see his body anywhere. Then they came back and told us that they did see something, a vision of heavenly messengers, and these messengers said that Jesus was alive. Some of the people in our group went to the tomb to check it out, and ju just as the woman has said, it was empty, but they didn't see Jesus. And now we get a little insight into why they're going home. They're discouraged. Jesus was downgraded from the Messiah to just a prophet. They refer to him as a prophet, a man of God with miracle working power, but not the Messiah. On your outline, the next blank there is, they claimed that he was a man sent from God, but not God. They denied that he was God because they couldn't reconcile how this could be. They talked about it in the past tense. We had hoped, but now they're sadly reminiscing about what could have been, what almost was. You know, things were looking good. If only. You can hear the discouragement in their voice, and so they're going home. But you know what? At least they're talking about Jesus. In fact, that's all they're talking about. That's all they're talking about. The memories are still strong in their hearts and in their minds. They're probably reminiscing. They might have been asking, I wonder why this happened, what we thought, but they also might have been going, hey, remember that time? Remember that time you walked on the water? That was kind of cool. How could we have missed it? 
Hey, remember that time that he calmed the storm? Hey, remember that time we caught all those fish? And they were reminiscing. They were remembering all those things about Jesus. They were strong in their minds and in their hearts. They were his disciples and they knew him and they followed him. They had lived with him, but they didn't recognize him. They were oblivious to who was walking with them. Their grief had clouded their vision. All their talking just added to their confusion and despair. They were blinded by mistaken expectations. Stephen Furtick in his sermon said it this way, and it really is good by the way. I had never even heard, listened to him before, but it was good. He's got two out and there's a whole series coming <laughs> and there's a book. He said it this way, he said, they were telling the author of life how life was supposed to turn out. Isn't that ironic? They were telling the author of life how life was supposed to have worked out. In other words, these are my words, they were telling the great I am that he was a has-been. But remember Jesus, he says who he is and was and is to come. In other words, um, in the natural, we don't, we don't, don't we just wish that this is when Jesus would have just shown himself right then? It would have saved them all that time, all that walking. They were probably tired. It was probably very emotional. It would have been so compassionate of Jesus just to say, this is me, peekaboo, right now. They could have run right back and shared that with the disciples immediately. Their joy would have been immediate, but that's not how God's working. I read this quote years ago from Max Lucado. It says this, everything works out in the end. If it isn't working out, it's not the end. If it isn't working out, it isn't the end. And in this case, what seemed like the end was just the beginning. We're gonna pick back up in verse 25. And Jesus says to the men, come on men, why are you being so foolish? Why are your hearts so sluggish when it comes to believing what the prophets have been saying all along? Didn't it have to be this way? Didn't the anointed one have to experience these sufferings in order to come into his glory? Then he begins with Moses and continues prophet by prophet, explaining the meaning of the Hebrew scriptures, showing how they were talking about the very things that had happened to them, that had happened to Jesus. And instead of revealing himself in the natural, he reveals himself through the scripture. Not as him the man, but as him the Messiah, the promised one. He started in Genesis and went through the first five books of the Old Testament, and then it says prophet by prophet, because they had all testified of him. And they explained Everything had to happen exactly like it did. You remember how far it was? It was seven miles. And walking at a normal leisurely pace, it should take about two hours to walk seven miles. So for two hours, Jesus was pointing them to the scriptures about who he was. When you Google a list of prophecies, 353 prophecies have been fulfilled by Jesus. That'd take a couple hours for him to show who he was. 
This week on, on Facebook, you know how your timeline comes up and it tells you something you shared a long time ago and you're like, whoa, that was kind of wise. I don't know where I lost that the last five years. But I, I had shared this. I had shared John 1.1, in the beginning was the word. And this is what I wrote. It all begins with the word. If you need a new beginning, speak the word. The word always has the answer. So the next scripture, or the next blank there, is we see Jesus in scripture. We see Jesus in scripture, in the Bible. It's a God-centered gospel. It's a Jesus-centered gospel. What I've been talking to our volunteers and our, and our uh, leaders in Tree Kids is we want the kids to see the big story. I wrote this quote that Lecrae had. It says, it's better to have a small role in God's story than to cast yourself as the lead in your own fiction. Isn't that the truth? God has a part for you to play. He has a very special part that only you can play. Jeremiah 29, 11 is, um, you know, it's our, one of our foundational scriptures. It's out, it's out in the gathering place. You can all quote it, I'm sure. I know the kids can quote it because we do it all the time. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to give you a future and a hope. And let's go just a little bit further because this is what verse 13 and 14 says. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This is a wonderful promise. Verse 14, I will be found by you declares the Lord. So we're going to skip around a second. We're going to go over to the book of John. And we're going to talk a little bit about when Jesus appears and, um, to the 11. This is on Easter. And Jesus appears to the 11. And one of them's not there, so he appears to the 10, I guess. And one of them's not there, Thomas. And we always know him as Doubting Thomas, right? Because he wasn't quite sure. I don't know. Maybe they had, like, played practical jokes on him his whole life. And maybe he felt insecure. I'm not sure. But he's like, I'm not going to believe it until I stick my fingers in these holes and stick my hand in his side. Then I'll believe it. Okay, so now catch this. It's not seven miles, and it's not seven minutes, and it's not seven hours. It is seven days later. The disciples are gathered again, and Jesus appears now to the 11, and Thomas is there. So Thomas has been stewing about this for seven days, and Jesus hasn't appeared. Jesus appears and says, peace be with you, and says to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas just says, my Lord and my God. And then in John 20, verse 29, that's in your notes as well. Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who've not seen me and have believed. You know, that was a prophecy about us. We haven't physically seen Jesus. We didn't see the resurrected Lord because he ascended up into heaven where he is. He lives inside of us, but we don't see him physically. So blessed are you who haven't seen and yet you still believe. God needs us to see Jesus for who he was and who he is and what he came to do. Okay, so back to Luke. We're back in verse 28. It says, about this time they were nearing their destination. Jesus keeps walking ahead as if he has no plans to stop. So the next blank to fill in is, he walks with us. He walks with us. This is the part that God showed me in a new way. 
He said, he's the God of the journey. It's not about the destination, it's about the journey and I'm on this journey with you. He's the God of the journey. In the everyday that I walk and I talk and the normal things I do, whether that's you're a mom and you've got little ones, whether you're a businessman, whether you're a CEO, whether you're the president of the United States, he's walking with you. Sometimes we get so caught up to try to make sure that we're following him, right? And that's not bad. I mean, we do need to follow Jesus. That's in the scripture. He leads us. We're a sheep. We follow him. He knows, we know his voice. We all know that. But sometimes we get so caught up in following and trying to figure out where he's leading that we turn it to where it's about us. It's no longer about Jesus. It's all about us. I got to figure it out. I got to follow him. And we turn the tables on us. But the simple truth here is he's simply just walking with them. It's almost as though he has no ulterior motive. He's not trying to lead them. He's not trying to get them to go anywhere specific. He's just with them. I wrote this in your notes as well so you'd have it because I thought this was significant. The same Jesus who said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Because he said that. It's the same Jesus who actually laid down his life, took up his cross, and now he's following them. That was, that was big for me when he revealed that to me. Maybe you're trying to figure out something in your life. Maybe you're trying to figure out God's will for your life. That's a good thing to do. We want to help you. We'll pray with you. We know God has a plan for you, plans for good, not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah 29, 11, we know that. But if you're trying to figure it out and maybe you're trying to get direction, maybe you're so scared that you're going to go the wrong direction that you do nothing. Or maybe you're patiently waiting and trusting and listening to him. This kind of hit home for us um, this past year, and I asked Colin if I could share it. He, our youngest son graduated from high school yet, last year, <clears throat> and he thought he knew where he was supposed to go to school. He felt sure this was where he was supposed to go. So we went to the weekend that you're supposed to go visit and stuff, and, and we got there, and he was like, this isn't it. God said, this is not where I'm supposed to go. You know what came into his heart? Now what do I do? And you know what? It's been a year. And he's been like, now I will say, I don't think he's been stressing about it near maybe like Richard and I. <laughs> what are you going to do? Because he's still living at home. But he has, he has two jobs. He's working with Pastor Rob, helping finish the new building. And he's learning a lot of construction skills and getting some godly wisdom as he's, as he's walking with him. And he's also interning at Kids Club, which is a fantastic after-school program. So he's getting a lot of wisdom and training and equipping. And I think he's, he's been pretty still. He's been pretty silent. He's been okay. But I still think there's probably a little anxiety of, what am I supposed to do with my life? And that's probably true, maybe for some of us in here, it's probably true for a lot of your kids. And we put a lot of pressure on them to know. And sometimes we just have to remind them, God's walking with you and you can trust him. Amen. So last weekend he went, he, knows a, he has a friend that ha- goes to a school up in Dallas and um, they had their weekend. And so him and a few friends, they rode up there together and immediately he said, I know this is it. 
And so in that quiet time, God was just speaking to him. So we're all glad. That's a good positive thing. We'll be sad, but we're glad. And just another quick kind of funny one. Some of y'all that serve in tree kids can kind of relate to this. Um, When a kid is having kind of a rough day, especially in the elementary, maybe something didn't go well on their way here. Maybe they didn't get to wear the shoes they wanted. I have no idea. Maybe they wanted to dress up like a superhero. Whatever it is that they're having a little bit of a rough day, maybe someone said something really mean to them. The simplest thing that we do is we just sit beside them and we say this, hey, you want to go get a drink? That's it. And they're like, okay. It's not seven miles, but it's a little bit of a walk from Faith Factory all the way down to the water fountain. But you know what we do? We just walk with them and we say, hey, how's your day? Hey, what sport are you in? You like math? What's your favorite subject? You got any pets? All these just little questions. It's their day to day to day. Just walking with them. Usually by the time we get all the way down there, get a drink, they are totally fine to go back in class and hear the lesson. It's just they need someone to walk it out with them. So these disciples, these two that he's traveling with, whether they're just hospitable or whether they're intrigued by him, they invite him to stay with them. Verse 29 says, they convince him to join them. The two disciples ask, please be our guest. It's getting late and soon it will be too dark to walk. So he accompanies them to their home. Okay, so now we're getting ready for it. This is what it's all been leading up to. This is the aha moment. This is the big reveal. But watch how Jesus orchestrates it. It's also right out of scripture. He reveals himself in the same pattern that he had just shown them a few days before when they celebrated the Passover. Verse 30 says, when they sit down at the table for dinner, he takes the bread in his hands, he gives thanks for it, then he breaks it and he hands it to them. So here's the pattern. He takes it. He blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it. So whether it was in that simple pattern that their eyes were opened, whether they realized, this sounds kind of familiar, or maybe when he broke the bread and handed it to them, they saw the scars on his hands. Because we know from when he talked to Thomas, that they were there so that Thomas could touch him. In fact, I believe his resurrected body in heaven still has him. I don't know if that's in the Bible. But he bears those scars for a reason because that's our salvation. So maybe they saw his scars and that's when their eyes were opened. We don't know exactly. Verse 31 just says, in that instant, two things happen simultaneously. Their eyes are suddenly opened so they recognize him and he instantly vanishes, just disappears before their eyes. And the two disciples say to each other, amazing. That's kind of an understatement, don't you think? (laughs) Amazing. Weren't our hearts on fire within us while he was talking to us on the road? Didn't you feel it all becoming clear as he explained the meaning of the Hebrew scriptures? So they get up immediately and rush back to Jerusalem, all seven miles, 
where they find the 11 gathered together, the 11 plus a number of others. The next blank here, we can help others to see Jesus. That's what they went back to testify for. We can help others to see Jesus. I don't know if you've ever looked at, um, maybe when you were kids, looked at optical illusions, and you're like, I don't see it, I don't see it. Or those 3D ones that kind of pop out at you after you, when you cross your eyes just a certain way. And you don't see it, and someone has to point it out to you. But you know what? Once you see it, you don't unsee it. Every time you look at it, you see it again. Once you see Jesus, it's hard to unsee him. And so now our job is to help others see him. So let me ask you, what friend, what kid, what youth, what member of your small group needs to see Jesus? Which one of them needs you to help them see Jesus? Letter A, we want to help them see the big picture. We want to help them see the big picture. We want to help them see that it's not about what's happening to them, but what God wants to do through them. It's not about what's happening to them, but what God wants to do through them. And here's something you can ask them. What has to die in your life so that something better can be resurrected? What has to die in your life so that something better can be resurrected. Those conversations only happen in relationships. So whether it's serving somewhere and you have a serving group or whether it's a community group or a small group, whatever it is, those kind of conversations need to happen and that's where they happen. This is one more Stephen Furtick quote. He said it this way, because I've seen people share this one too. It's taken out of his sermon series. He says, the devil has a big hammer, but he doesn't have any more nails. I love that. So what else can we help people do? We can help them get clear perspective. You know, it's been kind of cloudy the last few days. It's been kind of overcast. But you know what? The sun is still behind those clouds. We just don't see it. Isn't that the truth? So the question is, what's clouding your vision? What's clouding your vision? What's blocking your revelation of Jesus? And let's get rid of it. And number two, what's keeping you from recognizing the presence of God? The very presence of God. What's keeping you from recognizing the presence of God? Lastly, everyone must walk this road. So the last, the last part there is walk with them. Walk with them. Be transparent. Maybe they have an insecurity. Maybe... Something's going on in their life, in their family, in their kids, in their relationships. And you can help them. Be transparent with them. And number two, let them see your scars. Let them see your scars. Just like Jesus has his, let them see your scars. Let them see what you've gone through. And maybe they can help you go through it. You can help them go through it. You know what? The Bible says the God of all comfort gives us comfort so we can comfort others. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're supposed to do. And you know what? Just take some advice. Don't always try to lead them. Just walk with them. Just walk with them. The last two blanks. And let's let them know it's okay 
to be honest with Jesus. Thomas was. The disciples were. They were brutally honest. And Jesus, that was okay. And he will meet them in their doubt. You know, sometimes we, I know we're not supposed to doubt. I know we're supposed to have faith. But do you know what the truth is? We do doubt sometimes. And God knows it. And in your doubt, he will resurrect your faith. hope that this spoke to some of you tonight. I know it spoke to me, and I know God gave it not just for me. So maybe you're here tonight, and you want to say, just like the title of the sermon, where's Jesus when you need him? Maybe you want to say, where were you? Where are you when I need you? Maybe you want to say, Jesus, I need you to open my eyes. Or maybe you want to say, Jesus, I need you to walk with me. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.